Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by thelines.com. My name is Eli Herskovich. You can follow the Lines on Twitter at the Lines US. And before we get started, remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever the Lines releases a new sports betting video on any market, including the Preakness, NFL, or even Major League Baseball and NBA. We're doing a lot this summer to prep you on how to best bet on the sports leagues currently going on along with futures markets like the NFL and even the practice for that matter, just backtracking a bit. And on that note, very excited to introduce a very special guest to my right virtually. And if you're listening on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcast, he is Mike Wilkening. You can follow him on Twitter just at that name, Mike Wilkening. Used to cover a lot of Chicago sports working, not only PFF, but also Pro Football Weekly. So he and I both from the Chicagoland area and now very focused on sports betting markets and horses in particular. And we'll get into the Preakness in just a bit. But Mike, how are you doing on this Wednesday or Thursday, depending on when people are listening? Eli, great to chat with you. Doing well. Uh, very excited to, to kind of get into the Preakness, the, the second jewel, the Triple Crown. Uh, a short field, but I think a really intriguing race all the same. So happy to chat with you uh, about this race today. And we've been following each other for a while on Twitter, but it's your first time on the Lions podcast talking about any sport. So for listeners and viewers, how did you get started in sports betting yourself? So I was fortunate uh, when I started my career at Pro Football Weekly that I basically was their handicapping editor. So I, I ran the Handicapper's Corner. So the, the Sunday Night Lines, uh, you know, we would get those. And again, this was at sort of the beginning of the internet betting era. So you'd be getting lines from there. You'd be getting lines, the Las Vegas line. And that was, you know, Pro Football Weekly at the time had a printed uh, magazine. So you'd be getting the lines for the week ahead. Um, printing it out and, and you know that's how long ago it was so I did that um, we'd, we'd make picks against the spread every week uh, it was a great exercise for me because I got to figure out uh, what worked and what didn't work and what I learned pretty quickly was you don't lay uh, a lot of points very often and survive <laughs> playing the NFL uh, so I, over time I kind of found some things that worked for me from a handicapping standpoint largely from an underdog standpoint uh, got into totals uh, and really, really enjoyed it and sort of let had wrote their, uh, you know, picks column uh, for years and years and years, continued to do that, uh, that sort of handicapping work at my time at Pro Football Talk and uh, for the, the late, great uh, line makers, the sporting news. So uh, really, I, you know, I sort of was before the boom of all of this uh, in terms of writing about it and, and sort of doing it. And it was a little bit more of a gray area. We knew it was coming. Um, but, uh, you know, always had a real, um, passion for it because I think ultimately, uh, to me, what the point spread is, is a mirror and it's a, it's a psychology, uh, as much as anything else. And, um, you know, I think it's, to me, it's the one game, um, NFL wise that I see is one where you, if you have some good information, if you process it, I think it's one you can win. And time and again, we see people that do it and, you know, exceed uh, the threshold to sort of make money each year. Um, I think it's to me, it's the best game there is to play. And, uh, you know, all things considered, it's really been heartening for me to see all of the sort of great content and coverage about it. Um, I think it's it's really shined a light um, and I think it's going to level the playing field for everybody. So that's that's my background. Oh, it's it's a very well-respected background at that. And you touched on how much you love NFL betting. And we'll dive into NFL futures after we dig into horse racing in a bit. But obviously, the NFL is such an efficient market that you have to go about it a certain way that isn't betting on favorites. And that's where a lot of novice and, I guess, ordinary, in the sense of maybe the casual better, gets into trouble from time to time betting a lot of favorites, but we'll dive into pro football plan words there in just a bit, but we're going to get into the Preakness here shortly. Obviously the Derby taking place a couple weeks ago, but we were talking about this before we got started, Mike, whether it's the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness or the Belmont, either of those three races, any of those three aren't 
your favorite to bet on when it comes to horses. So what is? I live for Breeders' Cup weekend. Um, that's in you know October, November. To me, it's it's kind of the Super Bowl of um, of horse racing in a lot of ways. Uh, I've covered Super Bowls and I've been to Breeders' Cups. I I prefer the Breeders' Cup. Uh, kind of makes me an odd duck, but hey, it, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, no, I love it. It's you know two days of the best horses in the world. Uh, huge pools. There's a real opportunity. You don't need many good opinions to do well. Um, I love it. Um, I would say with regard to the Triple Crown, um, the thing that is uh, should be appealing to folks that are just diving in or casual players is that uh, the pool size is your friend on days like uh, this upcoming Saturday in the sense that there are a lot of people that are going to play the Preakness that maybe don't play a lot of other races this year. Certainly we see that in the Derby. Uh, and we're going to see that in the Belmont as well if we have a, a Triple Crown on the line. Uh, big pools uh, means, again, more liquidity means you might get, you know, a, a bit more on an exacto or, uh, you know, a little bit more value in some of the pools than you would kind of these typical days, um, you know, where it's, you know, the same kind of sharks and uh, and minnows fighting for the same, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, sort of pools. And, you know, they're, you know. We, we could talk for hours about this. Horse racing has, there are groups that, that, that get rebates that can bet into, you know, bet huge amounts, uh, that bet into the pools. There's computer betting. It's a tough game to be. Uh, on the big days, though, if you're a casual better, um, you know, it, it is a little bit more of a level field. And, you know, there is an opportunity to, to bet a little and probably do okay, uh, even in a race like like Saturday where we're talking about eight horses uh, as we tape here, which is not I, not ideal field size, uh, but it does, I think, simplify matters in terms of how we look at this. So let's dive into the Preakness Stakes where, as you mentioned or teased a little bit, we have seen some movement towards Mage over the last day or so, 24 hours, and we'll get into number specifics in a second. But generally speaking, and maybe in particular for the Preakness, how do you go about your horse racing handicapping? And does it differ at all when it comes to Pimlico versus Churchill Downs or just Pimlico versus how you usually go about handicapping a field? It's a great question, Eli. Pimlico is challenging in, in the sense that um, it's, you know, you, there's only a few weeks of racing there a year. It's an old track. It, it's see, I mean, it's looked the same as long as anybody, you know, that's listening to this has been watching it. It's a, it's an old track. They've been fighting for years about what the future that's going to be. Uh, they don't run a lot there. The Preakness is really the only thing that kind of keeps it around and going. Um, you know, it's the, the thing about the Preakness specifically compared to the Derby is this is a little shorter. It's a 16th of a mile shorter. Uh, it's also coming back in two weeks. Um, and so what we've seen is you, you only have Mage coming back out of the Derby. I, I believe that's the first time in a long time that has happened. And, uh, you know, I, I would say that um, what we've seen in horse racing, particularly in Accelerated over the last 10 to 15 years, is that more space between starts. You don't see horses coming back in two weeks. And it, the Preakness is really kind of a throwback in that regard. It's really the only uh, sort of racing sequence I can think of in this country where it's like, you know, you're going to come back in two weeks. We, you just don't see it. People don't campaign their horses that way. So that makes it challenging in and of the, in the fact that you've got to determine, okay, can, can the horses or the horse in this case that's coming back from the Derby is he going to bounce or is he going to be able to have the same sort of, um, you know, energy and, and everything going into the, you know, two weeks coming back. We just don't know sometimes what, what the Derby takes out of a horse because it's such a, it's a stressful event. Uh, some bounce out of it, some don't. Um, so you've got that. And then you've got, you know, in this case, you have seven horses who did not run the Derby coming back um, from all sorts of different areas of the country. You've got to kind of make a decision on whether or not they're good enough, um, you know, to compete here with, you know, what I would consider to be one of the better Derby winners we've probably seen in the last 10, 15 years on numbers. So it's, it's all of those things, I think, that sort of go into it. And then it's uh, the final thing I'd mention, and the thing that I always sort of key off of when I'm handicapping any horse race, Eli, is who's going to get the lead? It's the biggest thing in horse racing. 
who's going to get the lead? Can they get a clear lead? And, you know, if can you get a horse on the lead who likes being on the lead? Because a horse gets on the lead, he relaxes, he or she relaxes. All of a sudden, you look up and they're galloping home. We've seen this in past weaknesses. Um, we've seen this a lot in upsets over the years. And, you know, what, you know, when we get into the handicapping of the race, there's one horse in this field that is pretty well positioned to take this field a long way if he's good enough. And the, the question of if he's good enough, I think, is really what hangs over this pregnancy. That's how you know when you're a media pro, when you could tease yeah. like that at the end of your answer. We'll get to yeah. that answer in just a moment. But back to Mage. On the morning line odds, eight to five, when those came out, I believe Monday afternoon, late afternoon, early evening, depending on where you are, looking at horse racing odds across the country. And now it's some sports books down to as low as plus 135. And if you're interested in betting on the Preakness, you can get a great promo offer with FanDuel Racing. Just head over to thelines.com to do just that and also Jump in the Lions Discord channel to discuss your Preakness betting strategy. That link is also at thelines.com. So is the current number for Mage justified? I know you play on words there too with a recent Triple Crown winner in Justify. I know you mentioned that it's one of the better Kentucky Derby winners in recent memory, but is the price point fair? I think it is. Is the to me, he's clearly the horse to beat. Uh, obviously, having um, won the Derby, though we we've had years where we've had Derby winners that have come back that haven't been favored in the Preakness, or where it's been pretty clear they've had a setup that has really flattered them. Um, that's not the case this year. Uh, you know, Mage. The, the thing about Mage that stands out to me is that. He won on debut in February, or excuse me, the end of January, and won on the lead, Gates of Wire. And so everybody knows what he did in the Derby. He came, came off the pace. The Florida Derby, same thing, made that kind of, that really blitz move, you know, kind of half mile, three eighths, and kicked it in. looked like he, he might win and couldn't quite uh, sustain it and, and got nailed at the end. But uh, this is a horse, you know, and folks who, who handicap the sport and really watch horse racing a lot will, will kind of, I think, remark and agree at how unique this is. You don't see horses typically that can uh, can vary their running style and win, um, you know, multiple ways. Usually a horse is an either lead type or is a horse that he, you know, he or she's going to make one run and that's it. This is a horse who's one on the lead. He's laid close and is still run. He's come from way back. He's, you know, he's pretty clearly push button. You can put him anywhere. Um, so I expect him in this race to be closer. Um, I don't think he's going to be, you know, way far back. Um, you know, and I think even if he wanted to be, there are some that are still slower than him. So I think he's going to, I mean, I think he's going to have a really, you know, kind of a, what I would consider to be on paper, a pretty nice trip. Um, I, I, He's the Derby winner. I see no reason why he shouldn't be a short price. Uh, it's he's to be pretty clearly the most likely winner of this race. If he repeats what he did in the Derby, he is going to win. But the question is, is can he do it? And it's a lot to ask a horse coming back in two weeks. And there are a couple new shooters here, I think, that are pretty good that tactically have some uh, ability to, I think, make it maybe a little bit uh, more difficult on him interestingly enough, more so than, than the Derby. And that's odd talking about a 19 horse field versus an eight horse field. There, there's some talent in this field that probably would have fit pretty well in, in the Derby two weeks ago. And I think Mage is going to have to deal with those new shooters. So straight bet wise, which horse are you targeting? And two parts to that question, would you recommend betting it Thursday, Friday, or waiting till maybe the odds adjust on Saturday, when more money comes in and more people start betting on the Preakness leading up to race time, I believe it's going to begin at around 6.47 p.m. Eastern time. And exotic-wise, not that you've filled out all of your tickets in that regard, but maybe some potential wagers there, too. 
Yeah, I, I think I'd st- I'd start with the exotic end of it because I think that's where, to me, it's a more interesting aspect of this race because I think I'd have no problem with somebody betting Mage to win. Um, I, I think my advice to anybody looking to get in would be to, I mean, I, I'd want to wait as long as possible um, just to, you know, see how they look on the track. Um, you know, listen to the NBC telecast. Um, there, there are some sharp folks that uh, you know, the, on the broadcast. I mean, I remember, um, I think it was, I want to say it was 12, 12, 13 years ago now. I, I think it was when Super Saver won the Derby. And I think it was Donna Brothers who won the NBC telecast. Donna Brothers, um, she's on horseback. She does the post-race interviews. And she's got a great, you know, just a great horsewoman's eye. And she, and she noted that Super Saver didn't look quite as good as he had. And I was someone that, that liked super saver a lot that day to repeat. Uh, I said, I, I thought his derby was, and I, and you hear that and you kind of hear the hubbub with that. And you're like, oh, man. and he did not run well. He was sixth, you know, and, and a new shooter. Um, and actually a horse uh, looking at lucky about bathroom horse got him. But the point is, is that you want to keep your, keep your eye out for that. And, um, you know, and so I, I'd wait as long as possible if, if you're, if you're in the wind pool for something like that. Um, but going back to the question of ex- uh, exotics versus um, the straight bet, I, my play in this race will be to get the number six perform into the number in some form or fashion. He's 15 to one on the line. Uh, he won his last race pretty impressively um, at, at Laurel Park, the uh, the Frederico uh, Tessio. Um, the speed figure came back. It wasn't as maybe as fast as some of these other horses, but uh, I think he's come to hand pretty nicely here. He's got a nice little turn of foot. Do I think he's the most likely winner? No. But at 15 to 1, I don't have to pay a lot to find out to be pretty happy if he does, you know, pull an upset. So a little bit to win. But what I really would like him to do or would look to do is I'd use him with the one national treasure. I certainly would use him with mage number three. Um, and I certainly would use him uh, with the eight first mission as well. And, you know, certainly we could talk about the, the, the sort of the, the – you know, each of those horses, but those to me are the ones that are the most, you know, those are the ones I think you have to use on top, uh, the, the one, the three and the eight here. Uh, I mean, again, my, the whole, my whole thing will be, I'm going to try to get the six second or third and have, I'll have some things where he's on top and, and, you know, whether it be doubles or also just a small win bet here or there. And that's how, you know, you're listening to a pro in general, when it comes to sports batting, you're looking to take, the more valuable position when it comes to the number versus metrics for a given horse. It's it's music to my ears, Mike, talking Preakness betting with you. So before we wrap up and get on to the NFL features, few nuggets there to dive into here on Beat the Closing Number, any other betting advice for our audience to take in on the Preakness? Sure. So... You know, it's an eight-horse field, so I mean, you're you know, you only have so many combinations. It kind of limits your upside, maybe, in some of the exotics. Meaning, you know, I don't, you know, you probably don't want to be, you know, boxing four or five horses. It's it's not like the Derby where if you you could you might catch a price and and you know, so you've got to maybe, you know, sort of take a stab and um, and maybe you know again key a long shot or. You know, uh, or look to cold deck, uh, you know, an exacta. I mean, if you're if you're of the opinion that, for instance, uh, well, go to the one national treasure. He's gonna for Bob Baffert. He's gonna be in the lead. Okay, if your opinion is that this horse is gonna wire the field, but you know, Maids is gonna make a huge run and come up second, then you know, play a play a cold exacta, an exacta box there or something. Um, you probably will will be fairly happy with that. Uh, you know, I think that <clears throat> the other way you could look at it is you could say, and I don't know if I would do this necessarily, but you could say, look, maybe we, we've seen Derby winners not run well in the Preakness. We've seen it in recent years. You could say, well, you know, maybe Mage, it's, it's a lot to ask a horse to come back in two weeks. Let's toss him and let's, you know, you, you know, we key the eight first mission, who I think has got a real shot here. Yeah, you know, that's what I would probably do. I, I I think as much as anything else, you probably have to kind of 
take a stand on, on something. Uh, and the, the final thing I'd say is I'd never talk somebody out of a long shot just in, in the wind pool. I, I'm, I'm never, I never want to tell people how to spend their money. Uh, I think it's a personal thing. I would say this, though. You see a horse like the number two, uh, Chase the Chaos, on, on the morning line. He's 50 to one. My guess is he's going to be bet down to like 20, 25 to one. And I'm, I think the morning line is probably accurate here in terms of what his true odds are. I just think you have to kind of keep that in mind. Um, you know, on the other hand, the horse wins. It's a great, you know, you're not going to turn down 50 or 60 bucks. You, you know, you try to consider what your true odds are. Uh, but those are the things, too, I think I'd say, is that smaller field, um, and I, I think if, you know, the, probably it's going to simplify the your, it's going to focus your lens. And, you know, I'd seize upon what you think your best opinion is, and, I, I you know, you know, take a clear shot at it. And I think if you're right, you're still going to make a good deal of money considering the, the pools are big enough here on Preakness Day. Fantastic insight on the Preakness there. A lot of different ways to go about betting this race and when to do it and the numbers itself. Fascinating information for somebody that doesn't bet on horses very often and might tail some of your advice. Definitely tail some of your advice you're listening to the lines.com podcast network looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top u.s sports books all in one place then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust check out the lines.com nfl megapod as matt brown steven andrus and adam candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate join the coast to coast podcast crew mondays through fridays as nate weitzer and josh lander bring you the best player props and game lines for major league baseball the nba and the nfl and tune in to beat the closing line twice a week as nicole russo mo nawara and eli hershkovich dive into nfl opening lines plus special guests from the sports betting world so subscribe rate and review to the lines podcast network the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. Mike, let's get on to NFL futures as we saw last Thursday, so early May, earlier in May, the NFL schedule release correlating to strength of schedule pieces here and there and people evaluating win totals off of that based on what you were discussing in terms of your horse racing handicapping strategy. I'm assuming you don't go off of previous teams records when it comes to betting on NFL features, especially with win totals. But one win total that I do want to discuss just to kick things off here before we dig in a couple teams I want to dive into and then get your thoughts on those dive into a future or two that you're looking into yourself or maybe a placed already. Bengals under 11 and a half wins and the best number available is minus 120 currently as of this recording over at BetMGM. Remember to head over to the lines.com if you want to get the best price for win total markets or whatever NFL futures market you may be trying to bet, even though it's still mid-May. It's when you can typically get the best of the number, although some may wait till August till these markets begin to settle a little bit more. So the reason why I'm looking into Cincinnati under, and then I'll get your thoughts, Mike. When you look back at last season for this Bengals defense, number one, the Bengals have had so much positive injury luck over the last couple seasons. When you think about Burrow not missing time and Joe Mixon and the receiving core, even though Chase did miss, what, like three or four games last season, but fairly healthy on both sides of the ball cornerback issues granted for a little bit of last season, but over the course of the last couple of years, Bengals have had a lot of positive injury luck, especially when you compare it to a team like the Ravens, which I'll get into here in a bit. But the number, the metric that I want to dive into, the Bengals faced either below average quarterbacks, and this coming via Cleve TA on Twitter, a very good NFL follow, below average quarterbacks or backup quarterbacks straight up, 45% of their opponents ranked number 30 or below in dropback EPA in terms of quarterbacks, obviously. So that was the most in the NFL with the Dallas Cowboys and Jacksonville Jaguars ranking second and third in that department in terms of facing the fewest quarterbacks of that regard in the 2022-2023 season. So 
Bengals certainly got their fair share of positive variance when it came to the opposing quarterback. And within that, when you look at where Cincinnati's pass defense ranked, 10th fewest drop back EPA in the 2022-2023 season. And then you factor in the fact that the Bengals lost their two starting safeties in Bates and Von Bell. So I do think you see some defensive regression overall, potentially negative injury luck for Cincinnati, maybe at the quarterback position, maybe at the running back position. Then you look at the Bengals opening slate to the season when it comes to maybe win total wise specifically at the Browns, which I think is a a pretty good spot, especially when you consider the upgrade they made on the defensive line. You get Jim Schwartz in as your defensive coordinator, even though the Browns defense has had Burroughs number with that zone coverage in years past. And then it's Baltimore in a potential revenge spot of the AFC wildcard game, where you could certainly make the case that the Ravens should have won that game outright, even without Lamar Jackson. Then you get a home game against the Rams and then add a Titans team that may be a little undervalued in the, in the market. So Mike, generally speaking, how are you looking at the Bengals when it comes to back-to-back AFC championship appearances over the last couple of years and the Super Bowl appearance two years ago? So, I think you seized upon something right off the bat that would stand out to me about if if I were looking at the under, and I don't disagree that that, that seems to be a sound way to look at it, is that I think the start September is more difficult for them than you might think in the sense that, again, I, I think Cleveland, you know, I think will be better. Uh, with, with Watson in the full year, they you know they clearly uh, have a talented roster. I think have made some upgrades, like you said. Baltimore, you know, I mean, we talked about injury luck, right? And so even if they have terrible injury luck again, you're still have to you're still catching Baltimore early. And you know, Baltimore did kind of you know tooth and nail with Cincinnati in that wild card round. It wasn't pretty, but you know, I, and I. You know, you mentioned something interesting at the beginning. You said, you know, you don't look at, you know, you don't look at how teams, you know, records and things like that. Well, I, I think the one thing I would say that um, I do take a look at is, I, you know, a team's quality in terms of drafting year over year is something that's that's important to me. And I think the Ravens always draft well. They're deep. They're, you're always going to have a chance with them. And so, uh, you know, to me, I you know they're certainly a good bounce back candidate, and so I you know I don't think sweeping them is something you could count on. Um, even that Rams game right off the bat again, I, I think the Rams earlier than later is probably more difficult to catch them. Um, they're not particularly deep, but I think McVeigh will go back to the lab, and it wouldn't be surprising at all if they started really well. So, um, so I agree with where you're coming from here. Um, I, I would say that you know the the one um, the thing that does stand out to me about this schedule um, a, a little bit is that you know I, I think there are some easy marks for the Bengals again and they typically have been pretty good in the borough era not sort of blowing those opportunities um, but I'd agree with you I think 11 and a half is a little rich particularly with Cleveland better particularly with Baltimore better. <laughs> Pittsburgh again, you you know it's it's uh, I mean it's it's you know I, it's almost gospel at this point. You can pencil them in for for their eight or nine wins. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> right. I mean, I think you know they get you know, but I mean the the point is they're 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 not that division. And again, this is the division I covered all my years at, at Pro Football Weekly and, and followed all these years, and it's it's you know they don't give any quarter, and I think so. If I'm looking at a little slightly different, maybe a little older school in terms of it, but I'm with you. I think under is the way I'd go there too as well. No, I get it. And just generally speaking with this division, it's arguably the best division in the NFL. So I thought you may go down this line of thought. Maybe you are trending that way, depending on how your futures bets go the rest of the summer months and before the season kicks off in mid-September Browns or Ravens to win the division versus 
Bengals win total under, which is fair. I just, Browns or Ravens to me potentially could win this division where I don't want to necessarily bet it that way. But I do agree with you that the Bengals, especially in the Burrow era when they did start out slow last year and that had more so to do with the offensive line continuity probably than anything else, they got back on track and when their offensive line did develop just that. So I understand your line of thinking for sure. Now, with Baltimore in particular, I made a bet on them already because it was the only, this is the only price available currently in mid-May at 25 to 1 over at Caesar Sportsbook. And again, head over to the lines.com if you want to get the best of the number on Super Bowl futures markets or the like. I bet 25 to 1 because it's the last 25 to 1 available on every seam, every single number seems to be trending towards 18 to 1. So I took that price over at Caesars on the Ravens earlier in the week. And like we discussed a little bit, Ravens injury luck should definitely turn around over the last couple of years or theoretically. And Lamar Jackson is at the forefront of that, especially after getting that contract extension. You have a new offensive coordinator, which should open up this Ravens offense again. In theory, you go from the stubborn run-heavy Greg Roman, although the Ravens rushing scheme and zone rushing scheme was elite under Roman. Todd Munkin, who we saw last in the NFL with the Bucks, very explosive passing offense when he was in Tampa Bay, whether it was with Jameis Winston or otherwise. And most recently at Georgia has probably opened the door for Baltimore's passing attack. And then you couple that with the Ravens new receiving core and Arguably the best receiving core in Lamar Jackson's career. I know Odell Beckham Jr. is on the back end of his career, but Rashad Bateman coming back and potentially the healthiest he's been in a while. Mark Andrews, obviously, in the fold still. One of the better tight ends in the league. Zay Flowers, you get him from Boston College. There's comparisons and even some saying that he's better than Hollywood Brown. I don't know if you could go that far in terms of making the assumption at that notion just yet, but still an intriguing pickup as an outside guy or slot guy. And then Nelson Aguilar even as another depth piece. And we've seen him make chunk plays, especially recently with the New England Patriots. Then you think about this receiving core replacing the likes of Sammy Watkins, Rashad Bateman before he went down last year, Devin DuVernay, James Prochet, Tylen Walls, Deshaun Jackson, who didn't do much, if anything, when he came in mid-season, Andy Isabella and Demarcus Robinson, who somehow scored a chunk play touchdown in that Bengals wild card game that we referenced. And then the Ravens pass rush too. So it's not just the receiving core. Ojabo is going to be healthy. The second round pick who easily could have been a top 15 pick the year before. If he didn't tear his Achilles on his pro day, potentially going to bring back Justin Houston. But if not, Leonard Floyd is still available. You have Rock Yassine in terms of their secondary. Marlon Humphrey is still there. You have one of the best safety tandems in the league with Marcus Williams and Kyle Hamilton. Schedule-wise, I think it works out for the Ravens to start out hot, which would obviously cause that futures price to dip. So I'm very high on the Ravens for all the reasons I mentioned. Maybe you weren't necessarily, Mike, thinking Bengals win total under, but any potential futures position with you on Baltimore? You know, um, it, I, I sort of am out of the uh, Ravens uh, futures uh, sort of market in the sense that there was a, a number of years back. Uh, I think they were like <laughs> eight and a half. I think it was Lamar's first year starting. Um, win total wise, yep. you know, or some, some absurdly low number, I thought. And, uh, you know, that was a, it was a, it was a very good year as they say. Uh, but you know, so kind of out of that market, but I, I would say this about Baltimore is, you know, defensively, they're going to, um, they're going to show up. They're going to be stout. Um, you know, look, I, you were, you were kind of getting into the receivers and, you know, could, you know, this idea of, you know, is, uh, on flowers and some of the stuff. And, you know, they just have competent guys now there. They, they have numbers there. Right. I mean, as much as anything else, I think what you saw was you saw a team that really 
um, added to the numbers there. And, you know, frankly, they got they had some roster construction stuff that was going on, I, I think, in terms of they got caught, I think, a little short in terms of where their numbers, you know, kind of needed to be at some key spots. And I think they've addressed that. Um, and now I think they're more well suited to be able to sort of kind of go on. And I, I think, uh, you know, sort of survive a year uh, where you've got, you know, you've got kind of the typical injuries. And if they get some better luck, they're going to be right there. Um, Cause again, I, I, the one thing I'd say, if we, if we take a step back, I, I always look at, teams relative to their divisions. I, I think the one thing I always do is you start there and then, you know, that everything I do starts with what I think of those other three teams. So we, we've talked and we think the Bengals slight regression opportunity. We also know that Cleveland, while we think they may be better and there's an opportunity there, we also know that what we saw from Watson was not, right. was not beautiful. Um, and we've also, we've just, have, we've just generally known the Browns since, I mean, and again, I'm not somebody that you, you know, it's like you go back and say, oh, they've, they've always been this way. So therefore we can't, you can't play them, but it, the Browns just have, don't have a tradition of sort of coming through in these situations. They're not the most trustworthy. So, um, you know, I, and I do believe sometimes in the NFL and things like program wins. You know, teams that just out-execute, that win 17, 16 games, that get, you know, that, you know, that execute, you know, on special teams that, that steal a game like that or two. You know Baltimore is going to do that this year, whether it's Tucker or something else in the kicking game. They're the best in the kicking game. That's another another thing you've got in your pocket with them. We know that, some, you know, other teams aren't quite as sound. And, and, you know, Pittsburgh's an example. They've had some issues there, here and there. And we know that they, you know, even if we like Kenny Pickett, they've got the fourth best quarterback in the division and, and clearly one of the lower half of the conference sort of quarterbacks. So I think when it comes down to it, um, I don't know if I'll necessarily be on a Ravens future. Um, I do think that number that you took makes sense. I think it has an opportunity to go down. And again, um, relative to the division, I think they've got a, they've got a real puncher's chance to win it. And then, the conference is so much better uh, top to bottom than the NFC that if you get in, if you get your money in at 25 to one, they win the conference, you're, you know, and the NFC kind of falls apart. You may end up, you know, you might be 25 to one with a three and a half, four point favorite Super Bowl if the Eagles or some of those teams don't fire or, if, you know, you know, the NFC completely falls apart. That 25 to one, if the Ravens come through, is going to look really good. So. Anyways, that's kind of the way I see it. Yeah, no, it's a interesting and good perspective the reverse yep. way, thinking about it. And with that all said, like you hit on a little bit, the AFC is an absolute juggernaut yep. in comparison to the NFC. Kansas City is the odds on or the favorite at six to one. Seems like the lowest price in the market at DK FanDuel and points bet, which will soon be fanatics. Another conversation for another day. And the bills obviously right there, the tide at some shops for the four shortest odds to win it all Cincinnati, which is a reason why I like Baltimore a lot is because even though it's a loaded conference, the Bengals should theoretically take a step back. The jets, we could talk about the NFL all day and <laughs> maybe on another podcast yeah. this yeah. summer, we'll get into it. Mike, I, I'm not super high on their position, at least in the market numbers wise. Like we talked about team outlook is very different from where the number is in the market. And then it's Baltimore, which is as low as 18 to one in the market. But I think that 25 to one price tag is nice. I know some people might point towards Jacksonville, but that defense, that secondary, especially the, the fact that I mentioned earlier, they're one of those three teams with Cincinnati and Dallas that faced either subpar or backup quarterbacks last year among quarterbacks that ranked number 30 or below or in dropback EPA. But we hit on the NFC or you touched on it. You teased it. And it's a really good transition into one of your favorite futures. Not sure exactly how you're going to go about this one, but how are you looking to bet one team in the NFC that 
is very under the radar when it comes to how people might be viewing that conference. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer as a handicapper that both in horses and in the NFL, that you don't ask somebody to do too much. You don't ask a team, you don't ask a horse to do more than they're capable of doing. So, meaning, you know, I, it's, it's like being a parent, right? I mean, I, I think when it comes down to it, you know, I have a, you know, I have a six-year-old. Um, so, I mean, you know, there are certain things, uh, you know, if I, that I can expect that he can do, that'll be awesome. But, you know, I mean, you know, it's, if I I expect, you know, perfection or something, I, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're just going to always be disappointed, but there are certain things we can, you know, you can do. You're like, this is great. You know, we're, we're awesome. We're happy. And it's like anything else. I I think you've got to be reasonable on what you expect in people and what I, and in your teams, this is a long way of saying that I like the Packers to win the NFC North at the current price that they've got. And I also like, um, uh, they're over seven and a half because, uh, you know, from a win total standpoint, which I've, I've seen out there. And it, it's this simple. I'm not asking them to win the conference. Um, I think that's probably a bridge too far. So this isn't a good conference. But when I look at that division, what they have to beat, it's Chicago, which I still don't think can stop anybody. Uh, Detroit has some, a very similar set of defensive issues, though they've gotten better, and clearly they're the buzz team. And now their price is so short that you're really, I mean, you know, it's, you know, I mean, I, I, you, you, to me, I, I, I just, I don't see the appeal, but again, I would never talk somebody out of something they felt strongly in, but I feel pretty strong. One quick thing, Mike, it's so, with Detroit, it's so interesting because week one, Six and a half, seven point dog. And because of all the offseason hype that you've already brought up, and we're going to see it over the next two months, against any other opponent, you can make the case, okay, public underdog. And not that that translates into fading Detroit or anything like that, but you would think that a lot of tickets would come in on the Lions because of all the hype that we've heard about and seen in the offseason. But they're playing the defending champion Kansas City Chiefs. So, which are maybe under a touchdown favorite, depending close where you're looking, sportsbook-wise, closer to kickoff. So, that, you talk about the psychology of betting, we've kind of hit on that, alluded to it at least, a lot during this podcast. And the betting mindset for Detroit is so interesting, especially when you think about that week one matchup, now, Yeah, I, I, I just... Um it's it's not it's they're just difficult for me to embrace at that price with those expectations um i think they're off their offense shouts to me as a regression candidate just because i think it's year two in that system you know that people have gone to school on what they've done and look their their staff their offense coordinator what they've been able to do and what, what Goff did, they deserve all the credit in the world. They did some things last year that a lot of teams weren't doing, and uh, they they had some really unique ways of doing it. But, I mean, this is a league where people sleep on the couch, and they're reverse engineering this right now as we talk. And, you know, the Lions got to do something completely new. And, um, you know, they it's been a while since they've had the weight of expectations. And so, uh, you know, look, I, I think I can understand the, the interest in them. I just I wouldn't take them. And similarly, I certainly wouldn't be rushing to take Minnesota when I think we've seen we've seen this play a number of times. And it's you know it's kind of um, you know it just depends on what night you're gonna you know is is the is the cast gonna nail the the final number and all those things. And, and last year I think they did they probably did about as well as they could. They got in, they got a lot of breaks, um, but I don't. You know, I don't think anybody went into last year thinking that that was going to be a great team that was going to win a lot of games, even if they got a lot of luck. Um, I, you know, I, I think they're a little short. And so I just keep coming back to Green Bay in the sense that I liked what I saw from Jordan Love and the, the little bit last year. Uh, defensively, in a division that isn't good defensively, I, I think they still have, in my view, the most upside. And you know, we know skill position standpoint, they got better as last year went along. They're obviously going to probably emphasize the run a little bit more 
we we know what Lafleur is. I just don't. I mean, again, I go back to the division. I don't see anything that scares me at this point. Um, I think it's almost uh, it, it's it's a really square price for for what I think the actual odds in the million of the division are. Um, the Bears are a, you know, I mean, I, what what is you know, yeah, look at what is the Bears' path forward doing? I mean, they're going to win a lot of shootouts. I mean, that's probably what they have to do, right? Or, or take a, you know, something would have to happen. Uh, you know, same thing with, with Minnesota. Is the path forward what they did last year? I don't I don't know. I, can the, Is there a path to, to 10%, 15% improvement to sort of win a different way? I don't know. I, I'm not seeing it. You know, Detroit, again, I, I think is, you know, the, the one I don't, um, it's such a short price. They probably have the most upside, but I would say all things considered, um, that's what lands me on Green Bay is that, you know, there, you, you know, we could look at the end of the year and say Jordan loves the best quarterback in this division. That's not a long shot because we know what we have in cousins. We don't know what we have in Justin Fields yet. And, you know, Jared Goff is 50, 50 to improve or regress. I cannot wait for our producer to clip that. Jordan, <laughs> they get isolated. No, I, but for people that are scoffing at that take and listen, maybe throw their headphones yeah. off after they hear you mention Jordan Love in that regard, that's why the price is what it is, to your point. Like, if we look at the NFC North odds board, as of Wednesday night when we're recording this, and people are probably listening Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon, or into the weekend before the Preakness, Packers are as high as plus 500 to win the division. And those odds are at DK, Caesars, and Rivers, and... Head over to the lines.com if you want to get this odds board. And it's all free. You could price shop at your leisure. Bears have the third shortest odds. Vikings second shortest. And Detroit as low as plus 120. So all that hype is baked into the number to the extreme. If they were the odds-on favorite to win the NFC North, I'd be shocked. So plus 120 seems still a little overvalued at this point. And plus 500 is a, is a good number. And... Going one more quick thing to week one, because Packers do play the Bears in, in week one. Chicago opened as a one-point favorite. It's been steamed up to, it actually got up to three at some books earlier in the week, I know. And then it's pretty much settled in at two and a half across the board. I think FanDuel has a juiced one and a half towards the Bears. One note that I, that I saw looking into Justin Fields, because you get the upgrade at receiver. You bring in, because they traded the number one pick, you bring in DJ Moore, and then they traded back even beyond that. Justin Fields last year finished 24th in quarterbacks in terms of EPA plus CPOE composite, which is completion percentage over expected. If you want to deep dive on EPA, that link is at thelines.com. And I'm actually going to have a quick write-up on a couple of week one games, and Packers-Bears is one of them. I can't get there with Justin Fields either. And yes, you have a sample size for Fields to work with. And yes, he's a dual threat quarterback. And you don't have much of a sample size with Jordan Love. But what we do know is LaFleur has a history of performing well when his team is... It's tough to say that this Green Bay team is undervalued or devalued in the market because we don't know what Jordan Love is, but that's why you're getting a week one number potentially as high as a field goal. So a key number of three, and that's why you're getting five to one on them to win the NFC North. I mean, I, I think it's, it's an opportunity, you know, it, like you said, it's, if you can get in on the beginning of something, it's, it's one of the most exciting things we can, and try to shoot for as a handicapper and anything, uh, you know, to link it back to the Derby mage was, I think 11 to one in his maiden race. It'd be nice to have 11 to one on the Derby winner in his, in his first race. Somebody knew he was good because <laughs> they bet him. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying we're, we're looking at a similar story here, but I mean, you know, it's in look, it's entirely possible. We can look up at eight weeks and it, it's muddled. And all of a sudden, it's it's a much shorter number to win that division, and it, the Green Bay looks passable. And you know, and it's just all of a sudden you're like, well, that's that wouldn't have been a bad number to have. Um, 
I just think there are more there are more outs with this than there are some of the other uh, you know sort of teams uh, team wagers within this division. It's really unique. I I've been thinking about it for a while, and I can't think of a division race like this in some time in terms of the way that the the board is. It's just um, it's you know you're you're being asked to 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 express confidence in some in some things where um, you know it's it's a little bit unsteady. I would say Eli. Yeah, and it's a pretty clear cut parallel when we think about the division as a whole to the NL Central and the AL Central in baseball. It might just suck. And the Packers might suck less than the other teams to win the division. So totally get the line of thinking there on Packers at plus 500 and over on the win total over seven and a half. And that's going to do it for this edition of Beat the Closing Number. Remember to follow Mike Wilkening on Twitter at Mike Wilkening for more thoughts on the Preakness and NFL Futures. Mike, any closing words before we wrap up? Well, this was a pleasure, Eli. So I appreciate the time. Uh, I, I would say that when it comes down to it for the Preakness, uh, again, it's small pool, you know, small shots, and again, emphasize your opinion. Uh, I think you take a stand. And in the future market, you know, we talked again, you know, predominantly about Green Bay. And, uh, you know, everything we've I talked about is again, it centers on the way I view divisions, but I think the point of it is, and I I think you do the same thing. And what I'd want to stress to anybody listening to this is that you've got to find a way to make relative value judgments about these teams. And you've got to find a way to level set. And, you know, and if you can go from there and kind of, you know, make your best logical guess at it, you at least can kind of say, okay, that's what I was thinking. Um, I, I think, you know, you you have to kind of do this enough enough seasons to kind of say, okay, I think this is a good price. And um, you know, what I think this discussion kind of showed me was it it gave me some uh, some food for thought about maybe how to look at some of these races uh, in divisions a little bit differently in terms of the broader analytics. Where again, I'm I'm someone that basically says, you know, are the Lions in the division? If so, I might have an opportunity to look at somebody else because I'm not going to trust the Lions. But the point is, you know, there's a lot of different ways to get to the core of the apple. That's the way I would say it. Great way to wrap. And be sure to follow Mike for more perspective, psychological perspective on the sports betting world or the like at Mike Wilkening on Twitter. Also for the Preakness, Going on over to play.thelines.com to have a chance to win a bunch of Amazon gift cards in our free contests, pickup contests for baseball and such throughout the summer, NBA playoffs too, Stanley Cup playoffs for that matter, but a bunch of Preakness contests that we have going on over at play.thelines.com. But for Mike Wilkening, fantastic episode on Preakness and NFL features. And for myself, Eli Herskovich, remember to follow the lines on Twitter at the Lines US. That's going to do it for this edition of Beat the Closing Number. Thanks for watching and listening. So long, everybody.